On this week's episode of the Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I are going to try to be scientists for a little while um, and talk a little bit about coronavirus. And then we actually talk about sports and sports betting in the NFL and futures markets, etc. So if you just want to get through the coronavirus stuff and fast forward, you can get to the sports stuff at the end. And with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage and sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to the post apocalypse. Well, I guess we're still in the apocalypse. Um, version of the bet the process podcast where rufus is holed up like the rest of us in san francisco we're in a shelter in place which means that we're not allowed we're not really allowed to leave our house for pretty much anything although one thing that's pretty neat is that one of the golf courses got sort of special dispensation you can sign up online and play but you're supposed to play as an individual and you're supposed to stay six feet away from any other human the whole time that's amazing can you what about like you know, if you pick up the, you know, flag stick, I guess they probably should have a rule that flag stick stays in because you don't want well, people the flag, the flag stick should stay in anyways. I mean, the only people that take flag sticks out these days are people that like played golf for so long that they just can't get over it. I mean, like, why would I don't do you when you, yes, play, I take it out. I take it out. It's dumb. Why? It's like inefficient. You're someone that loves efficiency. It's, it's, it may be inefficient, but you know, it's, it's more likely to help me than to hurt me to take it out. Oh, so you're now analytics on the margin. You think it's worth taking it out? Yeah, I've, yeah. I've seen some of these videos. That there was this guy, um, some professor, who basically did a demo and he showed releasing the ball with different angles of break off, like he was using a stick meter or something like that, and and showing that it depends on the thickness of the stick. But like, if the flag stick is thick, it's you, you can hit it straight in the middle and it bounces right back off. Um, and especially if it has break, you know, it's coming in in one direction. It, you know, so the, the last round I played, I was playing a. Um, a uh, nine hole course and on nine i rimmed out my eagle chipping oh so so speaking of chipping i've been like i've had a bunch of you know i've had some calls i've been you know hold up um just like i guess the rest of the world but i've set up a little chipping thing here and i had a potted plant that i had well emptied the plant out and just had the pot and i was trying to chip you know into it and i you know I, i i did and then the pot broke um, but I'm also, so, you know, trying to set up a little mini golf course in the den here. I, I figured out the break of the room pretty well. So we're going to cover a few different things on this podcast. Obviously, you know, we did want a podcast at Sloan that we both thought was interesting. We had Ted Knutson on and we had Jeffrey Yass from SIG, uh, Susquehanna Investment Group on. And uh, we did it live in front of the Sloan audience which was, was really fun. And we're just waiting on that file, this elusive file that's really hard to get. But as soon as we get that, we'll, we'll post it. I think it would, it's helpful to talk a little bit about, you know, obviously all these sort of idiots and I'll lump us into those category that don't know anything about epidemiology or medicine have been weighing in on coronavirus. Like every idiot is all, all of a sudden become an expert on it. And I don't know about you, but I've been pretty voracious in the amount that I've been reading and trying to figure out and there's a few things that, that come to me. One, how incredibly dumb it was to have the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference and how incredibly dumb it was for us to go and essentially act like nothing was happening because there's no doubt, you know, like that, I, I stayed at the Ritz-Carlton, which was the hotel that the Jazz were staying at. And do you remember when you, me, and Renz were meeting in the lobby, we looked across the lobby and who was there? Donovan Mitchell. You probably didn't even know because you don't. That was, know. was he the guy that you said was the best player? He was there. He is. He I mean, is arguably the best he's their best player, but he's he's one of the two guys that were um, tested positive. He was the guy that came down and like rather than having on earphones, he just like had music playing out loud, right? And he had a hoodie on and yeah. like the whole thing. Yeah, that that yeah. was him. I remember that. And he was. I mean, we never got within probably twenty five feet of him, but I certainly shared an elevator with him. Not at the same time, but I was in there afterwards. And depending on. Again, like nobody knows a lot about this disease and that's probably why it's the scariest right now is because people are making gross assumptions and people are generally building these, you know, even just the, the, the White House's model. The, the thing that, the white, that got the White House to freak out was generally this Imperial College study. And if any of you guys haven't seen it, I, expect, I 
you know, suggest given the fact that you guys are all analytics people to take a look and figure it out and make your own judgments about how correct it is. But essentially it plays out three different scenarios. It's the one scenario where we do nothing. The second scenario where we do sort of marginal stuff and the third where we go full quarantine and all the scenarios are pretty bad. The third one doesn't have mass destruction in our population, but it basically says that we're going to need to quarantine for the next 18 months at some level. Like we can quarantine for two months and then come back and live normally for a month, but then we probably need to go quarantine again for two months or else it'll go too, too crazy. But there's, there's so much we don't know. Right. Well, that's, I mean, we don't we don't know what warmer weather is going to do to this. I mean, obviously, we have a lot more infections in the northern hemisphere, um, and obviously, I'm not an expert here. Um, but uh, the other thing I think we don't really know is is the sort of possibility of reinfection and if how what sort of immunity you get if you've already had it. Because I read somewhere that in China, apparently, like 13% of people that tested positive and recovered later on tested positive again. And so, if if that's I mean, I don't know whether to believe that or not. Um, I don't know if that was fake news or not, because apparently a lot of the stuff you read out there these days is fake news. I don't know if you saw the whole Stanford Hospital Board thing, Jeff. There was, um, it circulated to me. I mean, someone sent it to me and said, look, this is from the Stanford Medical or Hospital Board. Someone, you know, this is, and it it had some information about things you can do to prevent the spread. And and basically um, it looked you know, I think a lot of people thought it was legit and it turns out it was fake. So I, I don't know. Um, but I think there is, there is a lot of unknowns obviously. And, and all these, well, I mean, like, let's just start from the, the, from the base, the bottom of this, right. Which is like, if you were going to, so the, the main issue that I've been reading about is what, or what's the basis for the decisions that we're making as a society right now. And as I mentioned in, in San Francisco, we're completely sheltered in, right. Meaning like, Nobody's really going to work. Nobody's like socializing. Nobody's doing anything, right? And this is not sustainable. And so if we're- Well, not for the economy. I mean, the economy, yeah. It's not sustainable for, for, for mankind, right? People need interaction, right? And, and there's only so many Zoom playdates or Zoom, you know, or Google Hangout happy hours that you can do before you go effing crazy. And I understand that we're flattening the curve and we're trying to do everything we can for, for really the- the at-risk population, because it does seem like the, the things that we know is that there is a, a very big uh, difference between when you get this as an at-risk person and, and we can define what at-risk is or not, mm-hmm. and when you are 100% healthy. Like, you know, the NBA players, it seems like, are, you know, not really showing very many symptoms because they're really, really healthy. Can we, can we go back to this whole concept, right? Which is like, again, if you go back to the brand of our, of our podcast, it's all about using analytics to make decisions, specifically embedding. And the, the, what's happening right now in the world is that people are making a bet, right? They're essentially making a bet. They're trying to you know, estimate the probability of you know, global destruction at some level, and then try, they're trying to mitigate that. And the problem is, as we've said, is that the input data into these models is not great. Like early on, I was following this guy, Matt McCarthy, and, and I've, I've known Matt for a long time because he went to... He played baseball at Yale with Craig Breslow, who pitched for the Red Sox, and Craig and I have done a bunch of charity stuff together. Matt was originally a minor leaguer. He got drafted, like Craig, Matt, and, and this guy, John Stites, the three of them all got drafted out of Yale very early. It was a very good, talented team at Yale. And Matt uh, went on to play one year in the minors, wrote this incredible book. It's so funny. It's called Odd Man Out, and it's about his one year in the minor leagues. And then now he's essentially become like, he's a doctor, epidemiologist, whatever, and he's He's been tweeting about things. And one of the things that he was tweeting about early on was how problematic our response to Corona was going to be because of the fact that we didn't have enough tests and that we weren't able to actually identify who had it and who didn't. And at the core, that's the biggest problem right now is that we really have no idea what to do or what the data is actually even saying about how we should respond to this, right? There's, there's tons of theories. You can use China. So the, the Imperial uh, College model used, you know, China, uh, Korea, and Italy as a model um, in terms of like the death rates and things like that to understand, you know, to build this model for what it might look like in the U.S. based on these three different scenarios. And, you know, there's just so many problems with those populations that are so different than that. If you just start, right, again, like, 
if you're peer reviewing this, this study, it's like, there's all of these problems with it. Like if you were reviewing a, a betting model, right, you would look at all these things and you'd be like, well, how could you do that? How can you make that assumption? How can you make that assumption? And at the core, we have like the classic survivor bias issue, right? Which is that the people that are, you know, that we're finding out about are the ones that are probably the most at risk. So we don't know anything to like the asymptomatic nature of this or how many people are asymptomatic and test positive. Right. And I think we, I think for that reason, we're drastically um, overstating the fatality rate. Okay. So that's one thing that we feel, do you feel, would you feel comfortable, you know, going on record and saying that, you know, based on what you know, that that's one thing we're doing, that the fatality rate is, is going to be lower, probably much lower than any Less sort lower. of fatality rates that you're seeing um, in terms of based on real data. Yeah. And I think we know this because I mean, we know we're not testing. We're not, there's a lot of people we're not testing that, that have it. I mean, I think, and, and I've read, I've read some papers, um, some articles by people basically saying, you know, trying to estimate the actual number of people that have it based on the number of people that, that died. And I think South Korea is the best indicator of, of what the sort of true fatality rate is because they've actually been testing people, not just based on having symptoms and stuff, but sort of randomly testing cross-section of people as well. And so I think from their numbers, we can have a much better sense. Yeah. Um, I agree. And I think it'll be interesting. Um, I think ultimately, I think it'll be really interesting though, because unless we're able to test as well as South Korea does, and, and actually like what, what was interesting is it, the White House, you know, has done a good job spinning this post, you know, post their sort of uh, reckoning where they realized that this was a big deal. They've done a good job spinning this where they've said like, hey, one of the reasons we didn't go after these tests is we didn't think these were good tests. And it's possible that the initial tests that people were generating weren't very good tests. Because well, we, we decided we didn't want the German test, which has been, which has been fine. It's been very effective. That's what like everybody else is using, right? But we how do you, we how want our own do you, test. I mean, like, how do you, how do you know? Like, how do, we don't, know. what's our, what's our, what's our like ground truth on this stuff? That's a good question. Like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how to just verify try, that a test just, result. But is like, correct. just try to think about, think about this Rufus. If you were building a model for sports and someone said to you, Hey, okay, let's say, say tomorrow, a new sport emerged, which was being played all virtually with no hand-to-hand -hand content, but yet hand-to-hand -hand contact. And yet all of a sudden they wanted you to build a model on it. And they said, we got to start betting on this tomorrow. How confident would you be in anything that you were doing? Not confident at all, but I feel like testing people is more about the science. It's about seeing the, the DNA you know, within the virus, right? You're seeing what the, what the genetic code of the virus is. And if it has Isn't this, the then RNA, it's not the DNA. RNA. I don't know. I'm not a science person. <laughs> it's some sort of nucleic acid though. Okay. So the first thing that we know is that probably the mortality rates are lower than people say, especially across any random population. Right. We feel comfortable. Yes. Is, there anything yes. else, gonna... is there anything else that we feel comfortable saying right now about this? No, I mean, not Probably really. not. Like, no. honestly, there's not a lot. I and mean, and I think like, we, we know the mortality rate is much lower because we know people that have it that aren't being tested. I mean, sometimes, like I've heard people... You don't, you don't know that, but you have a pretty big suspicion, well, right? And, and they're saying, you know, you're probably positive, just self-quarantine, you know, we don't have the tests, you know, you're not a priority test person. So it's, we're not trying to, like, obviously the, the number of cases that are reported are going to be super, super low. And I think last week, I made a Twitter poll and I asked, this was last Wednesday or Thursday. So before things really, before shit really hit the fan, um, asking, I think at the time our confirmed, num the confirmed cases were like a little under like at 1,300 maybe. I said, how many, how many actual people, if we were to test everybody in the United States right now, how many people actually this instant had it? And I set the, you know, I think the, the fourth answer choice was 25,000 or more. And that got like 60 something percent of the votes. And, you know, and I, I think, um, I, you know, I didn't know people would think it would, and people were like, you know, you need to, you need to scale this way higher. Um, and that sort of says something I mean, that, that we know, I mean, we know that it's, I mean, I don't know what the actual multiple multiple of the number of positive tests is, but it's, it's quite significant. And we can tell that based on the death rate and based on the fact what we know about the testing. Yeah. So, okay. So one thing is that the uh, mortality rate is probably lower 
and the actual amount of people that have this is much higher. <laughs> so those are the only two things we know. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you saw the graph that showed the um, sort of the percentage by the of- way, these graphs all suck because they're not being done by data viz people. So it's like you look at it and you're like, because like the ones that you see with like the number of deaths per country in those curves, shouldn't those be done as a percent of population? Deaths per country is a percentage of population? The percentage, the percentage, yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't. Not, you're talking about the percentage of positive, uh, you're talking, like I, any, what I'm talking about is the percentage of cases. That's being done, anything that's being done by country should be a rate based on the population size. Otherwise, like the axes aren't ever going to like really eat. Otherwise, the curves don't necessarily make sense from a um, relative standpoint. I guess. I mean, but it well, all. I mean, we're going to end up with more deaths than Italy. Does that mean we handle the handle this worse than Italy? Well, no, I mean, then we need to control for population density and all this other crap, right? So, sure. There's tons of things, but at least one step from a data viz standpoint would be to, to actually do it by percent of population. Right, but then, you know, which countries are testing more? I mean, obviously, we know the U.S., we're, we're severely understating it because we're not testing as much as other countries. No, no, what but we, if what you, we need if is that... If yeah. you do deaths, if you just do deaths, right? If you do deaths. But wait, wait, is the that isn't that perfect are. either because how many deaths are, like, how many deaths from the flu or have, how many deaths have been misattributed to the flu or something else that, in retrospect, are probably coronavirus? Do you, what do you think that number is? Well, the, and, and vice versa, like you don't even know, like the flu, it, it, there could be pre-condition, pre-existing conditions where the coronavirus was just the tip of the iceberg, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think most of the deaths, people did have pre-existing conditions, including age. <laughs> That's a pre-existing condition. Yeah. You know, what's really sad is that like... A lot of the, some of the quotes I've seen are like older than 50. And I'm like, holy shit, that's me in three years. Damn. I forgot you're getting old. But did Damn. you see, did, so the graph I was talking about though showed that I think something like 29% of the cases in South Korea, 20 something were uh, people 20 to 29. And here it's so low because we're not testing those people. And, and those people are the people that are largely spreading, being super spreaders without even knowing it because they don't have the symptoms. Right. So I think, yeah, we can agree that, that the fatality rate is lower and that there's a lot more cases, right? Uh, yes, the so fatality we're, so rate is lower and there's a lot more cases than we realize. Um, so where do you see this going? I, what's that? Okay. Well, if you I read was, the Imperial College article, it basically says that like a lot of, so here's what, here's what I think is going to happen personally. We're probably going to have, a good six months of non-normalcy at some level. And I think that there are very rapidly becoming treatments that will help some of the more at-risk people. I think obviously a full vaccination is, you know, a, a ways away, whether it's 18 months or whatnot, um, really like the- this We started long. human testing. What's that? And so I think so, we've started human testing. I don't know if you saw yeah, it yesterday. Yeah, but even the human testing but, takes a while, right? To, because right. you've got to like see what the impacts are before you decide to like... But they've, done, they've certainly done human testing on things like chloro, chloroquine or whatever it is and hydro, hydro whatever it is, chloro whatever. And um, as you can see, I'm really well versed in this science shit. But um, the reality is I think we're going to... It sounds like we're going to... Uh, and it seems like our... our um, our measures that we're taking are having um, a sl an impact and slowing things down. I, I think that, you know, it's not, we're not going to have a normal world for a while. And I think that that's the reality of it. And the more that we can sort of accept that and think about what the new normal means, the better off that we're all going to be as a society. Um, that's kind of what I think. I, I, you know, I, I'm like, my dad is, you know, 82 lives in, um, not a nursing home. It's like a high end, it's a nice place for, for older people. And you know, he's trapped there right now, but I can't go visit him. Yeah. And it's irresponsible for me to go visit him, you know, unless, unless I somehow can get tested and know that I don't have it and can walk in the door. It's, you know, I could very, very likely be asymptomatic, you know? So, um, it's, it's, it's tough. So Jeff, what do you, what do you say to the people that sort of say, well, why don't we just quarantine 
the elderly population and let everybody else go live their life and not destroy the economy? Well, I think there's, I think there is a world and I think my biggest problem, not to get political, but my biggest problem with this administration is that they're typically just reactive. They're not proactive. They're not like kind of uh, thinking a couple steps ahead. And, and I don't know if any government does. So, you know, let's not, let's not just blame them. I think it's hard to be really proactive. I think that the, that, that idea, right. I wouldn't say that's, it, it's as simple as that, but I do think we have to think about what are more creative ways that we can mitigate risk besides, okay, there, there's not, there's not two, it's not binary choices. It's not everyone goes about their lives normally or everyone stays in their house self-quarantine, right? There's something in the middle that probably is the right way for us to mitigate this. And, and, and that's what people should be thinking about ultimately. And the problem is, again, there's no way to fully understand that without real data to actually make that decision. And, and you know, with, with the absence of data, you're always going to err towards being as, as safe as possible, which is what we're doing right now. Right, but we, so we, whether we like it or not, we put implicitly a value on a human life in our policies. Would you agree with that, Jeff? And, and what we choose to investigate, what we choose to treat, et cetera. Sure. I mean, so yes. I guess the question is, what would, I wonder what that sort of implied value of a human life is based off of how we're reacting. I feel like it's quite high. Um, but, but obviously that depends on all these assumptions and, and, you know, if, I mean, obviously I've seen some of the worst case scenarios where if we don't do anything, we have millions of, you know, million, like millions of Americans die. Um, so that's obviously, um, you know, but, but the question is like, is that, I mean, the economic toll where, you know, the economic toll that's being taken is, is very significant. You know, people, you, know, you and I are lucky that we are in situations where we're not living, you know, paycheck to paycheck, like a lot of people are, and we have savings. And I mean, I'm unemployed for a few months here because I can't bet on sports. So let, let's move, let's move on to that just because we've probably done enough on Corona and maybe we can talk a little bit about sports and, and, you know, maybe be a little bit of a release for people. Are we going to talk about Russian volleyball or, um, no, or, or, or the hula hoop competition that Vegas State was betting on? Do you, do you worry, I guess, about, you know, one, I mean, like, assumedly you have savings, so you don't have to worry about betting on anything and losing your salary for a while. And this is actually kind of a slower. Time, um, my, my savings is, you know, my savings is going down the toilet though. I mean, I, I actually, I think I was, I felt, you know, I don't trust myself with, with, in, you know, in financial markets as much as I trust myself in sports betting. So I like actually, but I did sell the sort of my stock holdings and index fund holdings that were not in my retirement account. Um, that was like maybe the, the Tuesday, it was a Tuesday back in February before the market really started to, after the first bad day in the market. And, and I, uh, and now I'm sort of like, crap, I should have just, I should have gone on my gut and actually liquidated my retirement stuff too and put that into cash. Yeah. I just, I literally just put some money into a SEP IRA, um, from this past year and I never had a SEP IRA before. And so someone was like, you know, you can actually choose what to buy. And so this was, yeah. I think I, I think I bought everything like yesterday or two days ago I bought right before the last kind of little bump. And then today obviously went down again, but I mean, I was like, I just going to put it all on Amazon. Amazon seems like a very safe bet at this point. I mean, they're going to continue. They're like continue to hire people or whatever. Did you, um, wait, so do, what, where, where is your, you don't have money in the market aside from the not really. No, what, I mean, just, I mean, just like general, from before general, like, 401k passive, or anything. What's that general passive stuff like 401ks right. and things like that. Like nothing, like, nothing that I would actively manage. Right. Like my retirement stuff is in betterment and then I still have like, you know, and so I didn't touch that and I'm sort of like, maybe I should have. But, yeah. I mean, um, so, but you know, it's, and, and actually I'm, so I actually bought stock for the first time today. So I feel, I felt good about this cause I'm like, I sold when the Dow was at like 28,000 something and now I'm buying when it's at 19,000. It feels like if you're in a traffic jam and you know, you, you pick a new lane, you know, you go from the right lane to the left lane and you pass seven cars and then you, get back into the right lane and consolidate your gains. So I, so I feel good about that. You're one of I those just, guys, huh? What a, <laughs> you're one of those guys. I'm not saying one of those guys, but I'm saying that those guys cause all the, those, those guys cause all the accidents on highways when you're like zipping in and out. Um, take the under so, on okay, let's, let's play this out for you. But, Rufus. So, okay. so you, so you're going to be fine for say 
one or two months. And I don't just mean financial. I mean, just like twiddling your thumbs, blah, blah, blah. Not looking. One month goes by. You've spent a lot of time watching the big Lebowski being holed up, learning some new skills. Yeah. I watched, I watched the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. I had never seen it before. Two months go by. You've started watching succession and you know, you've watched uh, true detective and um, Ray Donovan. And then what, when, what happens in the third month or when, when do you start getting a little bit antsy to start doing something and start figuring stuff out? I don't know. I just I want to be freaking be quarantined on a golf course. What's that? I just want to be quarantined on a golf course. I would love so, that. Yeah. So golf, golf seems like it'll be one of the sports to come back relatively soon. Um, like I said, in my neighborhood, there's already, there's still a place that you can go play as an individual. I need to um, find one of those. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen with sports? I mean, it sounds it seems like when sports first comes back, it's certainly not going to be to crowds, right? I mean, it's more likely that that sports will come back without crowds first before with crowds. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think it's true. And so, would you right now, if you're a betting person, which you are, what what would you what would you say will be the first event, the first sport of the four major sports? Which sport will be played first? Well, that's the a good four major. That, that's a very good question. Have, have, has anyone talked about that on Twitter? Cause that's a, like, I, I see all these people searching for content. That's like good content. I think baseball makes the most sense in terms of, cause you have players, everybody except the catcher and umpire and hitter are spaced more than six feet apart anyway. But I mean, I think it's going to, it may come down to political considerations in which league wants to be, you know, uh, I mean, I would think, like, okay, let's think Actually, about the I guess, owners. I guess let's think about the include, owners. Like, we include tennis and golf also. I mean, I think, right, I think tennis and golf makes sense before any of these other sports, right? So maybe golf is the first one that comes back? Maybe yeah. we bet that. I mean, tennis is only two people. And t- t- I mean, tennis is two people, and you don't really, the only thing you touch is the ball. Yeah, I mean, tennis, obviously, well, t- between tennis and golf, it's hard to say which one is, I mean, <laughs> Tennis, you're very naturally very far apart. Like, I don't think, I mean, how often do you think you actually are within six feet of each other in tennis? Not often, ever. <laughs> Almost never, never right? Never. That's, that's actually like a great, another great thing. But I don't think, so if that's, I mean, right now, I mean, you could still play a tennis match with someone and, you know, you disinfect your hands before you touch your face or whatever. Um, and because you're both touching the same ball, but you should, you could be fine. I think the whole, and you could probably play around a golf and be fine too. That's not what's stopping these. I went to go play, I went to go play golf with my friend, with one of my friends last late last week before things got too crazy. And we were, I was like, Oh yeah, this is a fine thing to do. It's like social distancing. It's no big deal. And then he said to me, he goes, I don't have any woods. Do you mind if I use your driver? And I was like, Oh, come on now. Now that's the worst. We're just going to hand this driver back <laughs> together. That's not social distancing at all. I played with my brother on Monday and Tuesday at the only course that's open in Boston, the Newton Commonwealth course. And oh my God, Newton Commonwealth. I used to play that course there? all the time. <laughs> yeah. It was really crowded on Monday, actually. And then Tuesday was a little less crowded because it wasn't quite as nice a day. But, um, but I, I, I don't have a driver. So you're because not really. You my driver. No, really. I've been since then. Since then I have been. That was since that Tuesday. Was two days ago. No, two, this is last week, not this week. Oh, Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, two sorry. Weeks. Monday, Tuesday, two weeks ago. Of course not this week. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, no, but, but in terms of what sport comes back first, I don't think the consideration is going to be how close the athletes are together. I think it's going to be more about the logistics and, and travel and, and when we think it's yeah, safe for, for, for people. For sure. To, for sure. Uh, and things like that. So I think, um, I think it more is going to have to do with the time of year and whether, I mean, and, and the owner, the, like, it's sort of what, which owner feels like they're not owner, um, commissioner feels like they want to be proactive with this and who has less to lose and all that. Like, I mean, like Adam Silver is a very, right. He's a, he's right. He's proactive, but I think he's also, you could see him coming in like having coming up because what now, what we have to have, what's that? Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say of the sports that are, not in action right now. So, I mean, we're not including NFL right now because, um, or, or out of the sports that have had their seasons postponed, well, no, suspended, etc. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm going to say the NBA is going to be either the first to come back or the last. Wait, what? I think NBA will be either first or last to come back. 
they're not a follower league. You know, I think they're going to, you know what I mean? I think they're going to be, Wait, the, you, you just, you basically, okay. I'm saying they're not going to be in the middle. They'll, they'll either be, they'll be a leader right, on one end. Of, they'll, they'll either be a leader and saying, we'll be, Hey, we're, we're going to be the first to come back of, or not a lot of leagues that you've included in that Delta NHL, right? major league baseball, golf, tennis, baseball hasn't necessarily had their season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's suspended. Like I'm saying but sports that are in season. Oh, I'm just saying sports that are in season. So I'm not including here's world, football. Here's a world that I could see happening. I could definitely, let's say the next two months and summer happens, all of a sudden we're like, okay, we, this curve's flattened. We got a handle on this. We're going to allow, Adam Silver comes up with some protocol that allows people to basically play and get tested and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And they play to, they play in like a very contained environment. Um, where there's, you know, everyone that's there is tested. Like, that's kind of what I think happening. NFL seems just, like, so hard to manage. You have to play it in somewhere kind of on the bigger side. Although I guess outside itself versus inside is a little bit better. Do you think the NFL season will start on time? No. Really? Absolutely not. Free agency started on time. What is <laughs> Free agency entails, like, you know, electric communication, whatever. Like, I I don't think it'll start. Would, I mean, what what would you put the line at if it's starting on time? I part. I think it's gonna start on time. You would say okay. Yeah. So we can even that. money on time. Yeah. For what a thousand dollars? Yeah, that's fine by me. What's um? What are I mean? What's that's I a great hedge for me because I'll be happy to lose that. I would gladly pay a thousand dollars for the NFL to start on time because that means the world is in a better place. <laughs> There's so many great things about that. That's the greatest utility hedge ever. And I think it's a positive, positive view you got for me. So, well, good. I'm Sounds glad you think that good. it's, it's yeah. I'm, I hope, I hope that's really optimistic. Rufus. I've probably been holding away too much in my quarantine world. Um, like reading Armageddon articles to really, to really think about this. Okay, I mean, I'm, a li- I'm a little more optimistic now than I was before. You know, one Twitter account, um, I was following pretty closely about, you know, on this stuff all the way back um, since like early January was Ed, you know, our friend Ed Miller, Ed Miller poker on Twitter. And he was all doom and gloom for a long, long time saying that he thought things are going to be way worse than anybody thought and basically predicting what was going to happen before it did. Um, and, and now he thinks he's at like, he's basically saying he thinks it's not going to be as bad as, as some people think now um, because of the measures we're taking. And I think, I didn't, I, I don't think it was a given that we would take such drastic measures in the United States and elsewhere around the world. Yeah, it's true for sure. And then I talked to one of my, one of my best friends who's a ER doctor who went to Harvard medical school. He's, he's obviously, you know, smart and he's been treating patients in California with this. And I was texting with him and he's, you know, he's, he's like ridiculously overworked right now. He's, I was like, how are you? He's like, I'm super tired. And I was like, well, how are, you know, how are you feeling about this? Are you worried? And he was like, I'm not really that worried. He's like, from what I've seen right now, this is just a, you know, this is just like a, a bad cold. Now, obviously that's, that's not true of, you know, for people that are at risk. I don't want people to think that I'm, you know, poo-pooing this at all, but, you know, to, to, you know, to, uh, to go back to like at least the positive side of things. So everyone's not like, you know, cause I've been, we've been kind of doom and gloom a little bit on this podcast, but it was interesting. Cause like when we, when we get to put our money where our mouth is, you believe NBA is going to start, I mean, NFL is going to start on time. And I think it isn't. Yeah. So, so I'm a little more optimistic. Uh, okay. Can we talk about one last thing? Tom yes. Brady. Ooh. I yeah. obviously am a Patriots fan. And tell me if I'm wrong in how dispassionately I'm thinking about this. I'm obviously very sad that Tom is leaving the Patriots, the Brady Belichick marriage, um, and just everything that happened in the 20 years that Tom Brady was with the Patriots is something that like will always, you know, it, it would have been wonderful if it could have ended um, on not this note. But the reality is, in many ways, Brady made this easy for the Patriots. And this is the best thing for the Patriots going forward because they're, they had to start rebuilding somehow at the quarterback position. And Tom, as a quarterback, regardless of how accurate he is right now, he's not going to be a great quarterback. He has no mobility. 
he um, generally does not have the arm strength he once did. And, you know, when you give that large a percentage of your salary cap to your quarterback, historically teams do not do very well when that's the case, at least not over a long period of time. Well, he's not in it for the long haul. No, but what I'm saying to you is, as a Patriots fan, am I wrong in saying that ultimately Tom Brady did the best favor he could for us as an organization, and now we're probably going to be in a better position than we were if he had decided to stay and they had paid him you know, what he was asking for? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you're going to have to move on anyway. Uh, yeah. I, but, you know, I, and, and you know what? The... You, you know, let's say Brady comes, let's say Brady stayed with the Patriots. You, you have, and maybe he has one more good year, but that's probably it anyway. And so at that point, like, you, I mean, might as well, you know, you're going to need to rebuild. You know, you're going to need to find another quarterback. You can go ahead and, and start doing that right now. Like, I don't know what their quarterback solution is going to be this coming season if it occurs. Well, they're Stidham. Stidham is the guy that that's now the number one guy, and I think they were high enough. Uh, on him. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take even money that Stidham's not the starter week one. Who do you think it'll be? I don't know. I think, I, I think it's going to be someone else. Yeah. Do you want you want another thousand on that? I wouldn't take even money on Stidham versus the field, but I would take even money on Stidham versus two other people that you could pick. Yeah, I mean, but that's because. I probably well, you know what I'm saying. Like it's a bad bet. Yeah, for me if it's like Stidham versus, versus like Bridgewater, so if much it's like Bridgewater and what if? So what's going to happen to Jameis Winston now? Is the real question. Well, he's going to get signed by someone. He's he's yeah. he's not he's he's got a lot of talent. Someone's going to does. I think he's considered. I mean, so um, I don't know if you saw you saw um, a good friend of mine, um, Ed Teach. You know the Twitter handle ed teach 23 he he's the guy that had all the lamar jackson features last year and he posted a few days ago tickets on the uh that he placed at both i guess at the borgata um on tampa bay to win the nfc at 35 to 1 8,000 to win 280,000 and then to win the nfc south at 8 to 1 10,000 to 180,000 as well as uh tickets on Tom Brady to be a Buccaneer week one at 45 to one at, for a thousand dollars from DraftKings, And so he's, um, and, and I asked him, I said, do you really think that, I mean, obviously that he's, his tickets have a lot of equity right now. Um, at least I guess he could cash out on prop swap if he wanted to, but, um, I know we, we know they're not two way markets, but, um, obviously the odds have changed drastically on Tampa Bay. And so the question is, is that justified? And, and do you think that, do you think that the Bucks A, are going to be better with Brady than they would be with Winston? And B, do they have more upside with Brady than with Winston? Wow. Um, I think they will be better. I don't know if they have more upside. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that you could say, okay, there's more upside because it's an unknown. Any, anytime something, there's a major change, things can go really well or really poorly. I mean, I think Brady, obviously, at this point, doesn't have a ton of, we we know he doesn't have a ton left in the tank or we think, but maybe these other things, I mean, I think there's a lot that's unknown in terms of, you know, how, Hey, how, how much was Belichick? How much was Brady? How much, how much of that offense is, is him getting the team in the right play, him making the proper reads, et cetera, et cetera. But also, I mean, you look at the the weapons that Tampa Bay has, um, on offense, the wide well, I mean, receiver I think position. That's what everyone's and, looking at. Like, so our friend Matthew Barry did this whole triumphant, you know, victory lap where we showed everyone some article he wrote after the combine about how he didn't think he was going to come back to New England, and you know, he thought like, oh, he was going to go to Tampa Bay was a good chance, and he's like tweeted out this whole thing, and it's kind of made me nauseous, nauseated. It reminded me of the panel that we did in in uh, in in Boston where he talked about you know how. You know, he like, there's no, there's no response. I mean, essentially it's like Matthew Barry is just a tout happening to do fantasy sports rather than, um, and he's a good friend of mine. So I can say that, but like the, the reality is, <laughs> um, 
people are looking at this from a fantasy standpoint because that's all they can. And they're saying like, okay, the, you know, he's got these great weapons and blah, 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 blah. And have this great fantasy season. Right, he has these weapons, yeah, but, I, but they threw the ball downfield a ton with Winston. Winston threw me throws that like other quarterbacks don't make. Willing right? to take risks yeah, exactly. to do that. And, and is Brady, he's, he's probably going to because the book on him right now is that he doesn't do that. So he's going to try to overcompensate to do that. But, you know, Brady, again, like it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens next year. Okay, so h- how about this? Would you, are you, are you, uh, like, are you bearish on Brady's performance or ba- or bullish? I'd say overall, I'm probably bearish. I'm bearish so, relative. To, I'm bearish relative to the market adjustment we've seen in, in the Bucks. Okay, so who, who are but the? I don't know. Like, I don't know what's the, what's what's the regular season win total for, yeah, for the Bucks? I think it was eight and a half before. It was eight and a half a few days betting, ago. Sports betting because this is a sports betting podcast. Let's look at the futures in the NFC. All right, I'm bringing you up. Bet what's the te- what's the Texans win total going to be this year? <laughs> well, that's not even talking oh about that. God. I mean, that, that is just that's that's a whole nother. I'm level. I'm just trying to understand how someone like Bill O'Brien could be allowed to make that decision. I don't. I can't tell you. I bet the futures, I, I, it's, oh, it's, are up. Okay, so futures like, are. Did up he here. poison okay, so, the owner? Or I mean, was okay, it, hold I on. Let, let's look at this. So. I got the Chris futures up in the NFL and we're going to start, we'll start with all the teams in the NFC, right? So, are, so here's the, here's the real question though. Like what are, are there? I, I'm not sure that's the market I'd use for futures. What's the, what, the, what are the limits there? For Chris? Yeah. I'm looking. I mean, it's, it's I, I pulled up, I pulled up DraftKings here too. You can win five, you can win 5k on these. Okay, so you can win 5K on something that you're betting at 100 to 1? No, I mean, yeah, or on, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. So, okay, let's look at this. I just want okay, the win so total. Are these, are these win totals or futures? Because I have win to, I have the, I have, DraftKings says win totals. No, no, but, I, I, okay, so the Niners are plus about. 865, okay, the Saints are plus 1250, all right, those are the two top teams in the NFC, and, and I would, Definitely take them in in front of Tampa Bay, wouldn't you? Yes. Okay. So then the Seahawks and Tampa Bay are both plus eighteen fifty. Would you take the Seahawks over Tampa or Tampa over the Seahawks? Oh, that's a tough question. I mean, because Pete Carroll is such a dingus. You know, there's that there's that hope that one day he figures this out, right? Yeah, but and, you have a track record of. I mean, you have such a track record of of you know the way he manages games and 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 offense um, and then, Brian Schottenheimer still there and then so. the next three teams are roughly even and that's the Eagles the Packers and the Cowboys and what are those at those are all plus 2250 plus 2250 plus 2150 Eagles so, Packers Cowboys yeah I'd probably say they're all more likely than the they're probably all a little bit better than the Bucks, but I haven't. I mean, well, I haven't seen what what the Bucks have done in terms of their offseason. Well, I mean, the, the theory is that the Bucks' defense last year was vastly improved and improved all throughout the year. The you know the Jameis threw what thirty interceptions last year. Tom Brady's thrown seven pick sixes or twenty nine or twenty yeah whatever in the last four years. Yeah. Um, okay, so let let's let's. So basically, I think we agree we are bearish on the Brady move for Tampa Bay relative to the market. Right. And I'll tell you, you know, without, I mean, I don't know the, I haven't looked at, I haven't run any football numbers since the season was over. So I can't really, I'm not, I'm literally, this is like a layman's perspective, but I do think overall, and you see this almost every off season, these big moves tend to draw overreactions in the market. I mean, look what happened with the Browns last year. You had the Eagles back in like eight years ago when they signed like all the good players in the free agent market. I think, I think people, I think we tend to overreact to these things. Yes. Markets tend towards overreaction. Oh no, wait, that's not the expression. <laughs> um, okay. So then the other thing I have for you, Rufi, is the other team that is impacted by top rated and that's Patriots. the Patriots. And again, so their win total is still at nine and a half on DraftKings. What is it at, at um, Chris? 
I don't, I don't, nine don't and a half juice to the over. Okay, how about this? So I haven't looked at the schedules yet, but I mean, who, who wins more games, the Patriots or the Bucks? Ooh. Because right now it looks like not, the, the Bucks are lined at nine, the Patriots are lined at nine and a half, uh, a little to the over at DraftKings. And again, I don't know what the limit is there. I'm not in New Jersey. I don't know what, um, yeah, I don't know um, if that's a market number or not. So, Well, here's the thing. I think that the Patriots will be fine next year. I mean, you, everyone forgets that, you know, Bill Belichick went 10 and six with Matt Castle, you know, and that isn't even like being able to prep Matt Castle as the starter, you know, like the whole, like that was a surprise situation and everyone thought, Oh, okay. Maybe Matt Castle's not that bad. And it turns out he wasn't particularly good. Um, so I have a feeling that the Patriots will be just fine. Um, and they didn't lose with Jacoby Brissett either. What's that? I think they went like yeah. three and no, out with mean, Brissett. It, they've, 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 done, they've done fine with like backup quarterbacks in there. And Deadspin actually wrote this article where they, they basically just tore, tore apart. You know, Brady is sort of the most this terribly overrated quarterback. Um, I think Brady had some unbelievable games and unbelievable moments, and I would never take that away from him. But there are from a statistical standpoint, there are a lot of games where the Patriots won where his statistics were less than, less than amazing. Right. Like every game last year, every game last year, the super bowl against the Rams, um, the first super bowl against the Rams. Like you, you just go on and on. I mean, he's only had, there's only been a few seasons where he's had one, like these unbelievable statistical seasons. Obviously he's won and, and you can't, and, and there's no better quarterback. I would say historically, um, in those game-winning situations, so it's it's hard to, uh, you know. I mean, again, like this is like a very. This is like I a, see what you're doing. You're a Patriots fan, so you're trying to yeah. minimize Brady in every way possible right now. It's 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 totally sour grapes, um, and it's ridiculous. But the reality is, I have long since, and I got into an argument. Do you remember Alec? Do you know who Alec Shiner is? Alec I know him very well. Yeah, he was he was the um, general counsel for the Cowboys, and then was with was the president of the Browns. Yeah, so Alec and I once had this whole conversation, and this is Brady in his heyday. And I just talked about how, as a as a you know as a fan, I would love to you know love to have a quarterback you know and, and like Jimmy G's at that time was young and mobile. I, I'd love to have a quarterback that can move. I think that's the the future. At that time, I was like, I think that's the future of the NFL is being able to have a like anytime. This is when. Uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor, even Troy Smith, I think had the, some, you know, a, a reasonable, a couple of reasonable games and like the Patriots would be like about to sack this guy and they would turn, you know, if you can leverage turn a third and 10 where you're about to get sacked into all of a sudden a first down, could you scramble for the first down? That's got to be worth a lot from a leverage standpoint. And his point to me was like, listen, all that matters is a quarterback's accurate. And if you have Brady's accuracy, that's much better than any athleticism. So we we'll see which direction the Patriots go. I've I've heard that they were like inquiring about Taysom Hill, which would be to me amazing. I would love for them to get Taysom Hill, personally. I think just because you think Belichick would do a lot creatively, or, or I just think he, I think Taysom Hill is like amazing. I think he's he's athletic. I think he's old. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he would. I, I would love to see him get a chance. And I actually have him as a keeper in like a a big. So I, I see why I see why you your your motivations are becoming clear. <laughs> super for your super takes. nerdy fantasy nerd comment. Um, kicking Brady out the door. Patriots fan probably should <laughs> or something. So you didn't answer the question though. If you had to pick, if you had a matchup of Patriots win total against Buccaneers win total, what do you take? Even money. I, I, I mean, I'd have to look at the. I'd have to look at the uh, the the schedules. Yeah schedules but without sight unseen with sight unseen I, I would take the patriots okay and you know that's just betting on that's like betting on priors at some level right where and also just knowing that you know they're still regardless of whether the bills are better they're still getting games against the jets and the you know the dolphins even though the dolphins were much better obviously but yeah no i would i would take who would you take so you're, you're betting on belichick essentially you're betting on belichick against brady yeah, I mean, right I, now, but I've, I've been, I've been, I've been pretty clear that 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 would be my bet. I mean, I would take Brady over. I mean, I would take Belichick over Brady. I said that last year, and even even you know, 
I said that last year and some people made a point like, cause you know, Belichick made some pretty weird decisions in the last game against Tennessee. Right. So, I mean, that may not be the smartest decision to be made, but um, yeah, I would still take him. Okay. How about you? Uh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask. I <laughs> probably would take the Patriots too, just given what I think about markets overreacting. Yeah. But again, if it's, but if it's Stidham at quarterback, you know, I would probably be revising that. Well, that's because you just generally, we've talked about this. You would much rather have it be Andy Dalton than Stidham. Yeah, I, th- I think they'd be better with Andy Dalton than Stidham because we're talking about a regular season win total here. We're not talking about a futures bet. Like Stidham probably has more upside given the fact that we don't know that much about him. But also, uh, he, he, has a, he also has a super low floor. And yeah. if we're betting on a median outcome, I care much more about that floor. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would be more interested in Stidham than I would be in, uh, in, in any, of the, any of the names that I've heard mentioned the cast of characters. The only one that has me slightly interested, I told you, is Taysom Hill. And then after that, it's there's no interest for me. So where would you rank Tom Brady right now in terms of NFL quarterbacks going into this year? Like what what number? Out of yeah, out of all the quarterbacks. Well, Matthew Barry says he's gonna be a top twelve fantasy quarterback. Uh, okay. Um I don't care about fantasy. I care about I wins. So in uh let's see. Certainly, you'd take, you know, um, Mahomes in front of him. You'd take Russell Wilson in front of him. I would take Lamar Jackson in front of him. I would take Aaron Rodgers in front of him. I would take Drew Brees in front of him. Probably. What about Roethlisberger? If he's healthy. I would not take Roethlisberger in front of him. What about Jimmy G? Um, I'm looking at some rankings. Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. I would take Deshaun Watson in front of him. Yeah, that's obvious. Uh, is this is this to win this year, this or is, is this like for? No, no. This is just this year. If you know, if you were constructing a team, let's say you know generic roster. So I'm a big Carson Wentz fan. I would probably take Carson Wentz in front of him. And part of it's the mobility issue. And then after that, I would probably put him in with, with the rest of these guys. I'd put him right there, right there with all those guys. So tied for eighth? Yeah, something like that. What about Jimmy G versus – where is he in relation to Jimmy G and James Winston? That's what I'm interested in. I would put him ahead of those guys. I'd still rather have him than those guys. So maybe, I, maybe I'm kind of being stupid in saying like what I'm saying because I do have him rated in the top 10 quarterbacks. Yeah. So the drop-off from him to Stidham, because certainly Stidham <laughs> would be in the bottom 10 quarterbacks – undoubtedly i mean probably <laughs> but the quarterback rankings are weird right because like i mean yeah drew Locke, andy dalton mitch trubisky Matt i mean Moore. he's better than those guys yeah he's definitely better than all there's a lot of bad quarterbacks in the league that's the reality because once you start getting beyond that first level where brady you know it, it it's whatever we're just babbling now. Let's let people go. Okay, go. Thanks, I mean, guys. They, they don't have anywhere to go, but yeah, thanks. Oh, thanks oh for and here's uh, any book recommendations people have. I'm all ears. I, I have, you know, as long as Amazon Prime still works, and I can order things. All right, we'll talk again in a couple weeks. We'll try to have a guest, so it's not just us. Analytically driven media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a lead.